G'day ladies and gents and welcome to the voice of the mining industry. Life of mine, Matty Michael here and we've got an all-star episode. But while I've got you early, lifeofmindpodcast.com forward slash shop. Come and buy some merch. Tucker hoodies are half price. Not many left. Sticker pack has been beefed up. Your support would be greatly appreciated. And also... If you want to hear the exclusive, uncut, hilarious episodes that aren't available to the general public for obvious reasons, download the Podbean app, follow Life of Mine and click the red patron button and sign up as a patron. Very small monthly fee, but you'll get access to all the best episodes. I'm talking the best. Once you've signed up, just go back into the Podbean app, click refresh in the top right menu because... Now the people that have uh, buggered this up, I'm just telling you right now. Uh, and then all the Patreon yarns will pop up. So go to patreon.podbean.com forward slash life of mine podcast to find out more. Right. We've got the mining A team in today. Representing the broad range of underground mining disciplines to discuss the industry skills shortage what makes a great site to work at and much much more so we've got myself obviously putting forward the interests of the precious jump operating society uh kerry lee links joins us absolute bloody legend and she is an underground all-rounder service crew charge up shock shock crate sprayer safety and training a bloody unicorn coming to a billboard near you soon and a couple of ex-guests. One of them a frequent visitor, Shane McClay, principal and founder of gun mining consultant firm Entech, and also Craig Jones, second ever Life of Mine guest, who after coming onto Life of Mine got offered a COO position as a direct result of the interview. True story that. So Jonesy is currently the COO of the new and exciting Bellevue Gold, and he is tasked with setting up and manning up an underground mining project next year in an industry that is already under a lot of pressure to supply workforces. So we talk about what the industry is like in each of our disciplines supply and demand wise currently and what are the attractive elements of the job from our perspectives. Great industry yarn and please Put your two bob in on the Facebook and LinkedIn posts. We'd uh, all love to hear what makes people happy in the mining industry. So, here we go. Industry chat time. Let's get into it. Check in the portal. Copy, shift pod. I got a radio check. Yeah, radio's working fine. Yeah, copy all personnel. Yeah, copy, mate. The chair in the vent bag. Yeah, stitcher up there. Thanks, mate. Yeah, right, Copy that. Right, we're on. Welcome, everyone, to the self-titled what are we calling it industry podcast possibly one of many uh right let's go around the room introduce ourselves my name's matt michael i'm representing the sookie overpay jump operators <laughs> in the underground mining industry uh we've got three other people with me today go around clockwise let's start with uh the unicorn i've brought in <laughs> um my name's Kerry Lee links and i am a bit of an all-rounder on the lower scale. So I do a little bit of everything underground. And so, yeah, I'll be representing a few of us. 
truck drives, serve screw, charge up, safety and train, and Kez does it all, <laughs> essentially. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, Kez. Right, keep going. Who we got? Yep, Shane McClay. Familiar McClay's. face. Shane McClay. Um, yeah, so I run a mining consulting business. So we do mining, engineering, geology, geotech, ventilation. Sorted. Yeah, Craig Jones here with uh, with Bellevue Gold, so the COO, and um, obviously uh, we're just in the final throes of our feasibility studies and looking to um, build build the project over the next year or two, um, and be looking for a lot of people to help me get there. I'll give you I'll give everyone a bit of context to how about how this came about. I was actually I called I called Jonesy to I, was, I think I was trying to sell you some fundraiser shirts. Um, with the intent of that being the part, only bit of the phone call, we ended up talking about for about half an hour about, um, you know, why the industry was skill shortage. Jones has obviously got the daunting uh, task of manning up a, you know, a bit pretty big underground project, you know, five jumbos worth with um, the current skill shortage and uh, high demand of jobs. And we ended up talking about half an hour about it. And, we thought, geez, we better do an actual podcast episode about this, and hence we've um, finally got it all together today. So- yeah, we were having a good chat, and we just couldn't really put our finger on what people are interested in, and you know what what sort of things we need to look at. So, as Maddie said, we'll start a bit of a podcast and and see what interest is around the table, um, and see if we can incorporate those into any of the plans that I need to um, build a project with anyone. Because unfortunately, money isn't everything. That's what some people are trying to use at the moment to attract people. Um, not sustainable, I don't think, long term. But we'll get we'll get into that. So I guess the where I guess we'll go through at the start from our each of our individual perspectives. Where what we see, I guess, employee turnover, demand, what it's like in each of our areas. So I guess I'll, I'll start to get the ball rolling. So in terms of like jumbos are obviously at the moment very hard to come by people are like paying overs just to get people just to get bums on seats to have a jump operator on their site so paying ridiculous amounts of money some people are getting sixteen hundred dollars a shift that have just got the jumbo ticket six months three or six months ago which is massive money uh whether whether that's sustainable long term and the fact that you take into account the the safety side of things experience like i've only been on the jumbo three and a half years and i've got a, a shitload to learn uh about being a good operator so it's uh I, I see that happening a lot at the moment and i don't see it as a skill shortage it's just so much bloody work that the people just don't exist uh, you can't just pluck a jumbo operator out of perth um it's never worked on a mine site there's a big thing there's a big uh, journey towards getting to that stage so that's where i see that side of the underground at the moment uh kez i guess you are i guess you've covered a lot of roles trucky service crew charge up as you said you're doing a bit of safety and training at the moment how is everyone content at the moment are they hopping in between jobs for an extra 30 dollars a shift or or things like that or how do you see it all happening at the moment? Um, I see it as more people's progression. So I don't think it's the money either. I think the money is good, but it's more so progression. So you do have people that are in roles and will sit in those roles for a while and because they don't speak up, 
and they don't say that they want to progress, they end up leaving because they'll see, you know, nippers come after them and they'll still be sitting on a truck and they'll see those nippers go service crew and they're still sitting on a truck waiting for their, waiting for their turn. Um, and that's what I find motivates people to find another job because they don't feel like they're valued. So you don't need a thank you all the time. You don't need a pat on the back, but your progression or training to progress because we're all there not just for the money, but a lot of us want to see progression. It's very boring sitting on a truck for a long period of time. And I think that's what's difficult because the people are what make the site a lot of the time. You've got good people. You're happy. It doesn't matter what the certain conditions are. You're still happy. Um, it's people's progression. Do you see an element of um, impatience, but like I oh know this is because this is what I was like. But do you, do you feel some people are wanting to progress really? Because there's so much happening in the yeah. industry at the moment, and people are progressing quickly. Do you feel that some people are actually it's finding it's harder to keep them happy in one role because they're they're thinking about the next one straight away and seeing other people get progressed very quickly? Yeah, some like sometimes. Yes, I do, but I also think that we're building a culture now that because we are looking for so many people and because of the shortage in the in industry, we now have this culture where people come in and complain or, or threaten to quit and they get promoted. And so they're all not paid more money. Or paid more money. <laughs> to stay. And they're not necessarily, if we, if we look after the people that we know have been there for a bit that are going to be loyal to our businesses and progress them, if people are going to leave, they're going to leave. So call their bluff. Tell them to go. Like you don't want, you don't want people that are going to continuously hold you at ransom because you're looking for people. You want good people. And you'd rather have a skeleton crew of good people that will work their butts off for you than people that are just there to put a bum in a seat. That's my opinion. That's a yeah, really good point. Um, do you think having a structured plan for, you know, the operators as such of their progression that they, they, they could follow would help? Do you see Absolutely. a lot of those out there or not? they don't exist? I don't, I don't see a lot, and this would be across the board from other people that I know in mining as well, I don't see a lot because everyone's so busy. Management is so busy trying to, with the day-to-day -day runnings and just trying to keep their heads above water with everything that's going on and with the lack of staff, that there probably would be, a, would be another role that they could create for someone who focused on their staff and who focused on progression plans and helping people progress and helping grow our business. I think a role for a person to do that and mentor people coming into the industry and helping them to see what, what position will fit them best would probably help them. But it's a very hard industry because everyone's busy. They forget that you might want to move up. And unless you keep saying something, they're not going to remember. They've got so much else to do that it's difficult Really well, they're, they're already them. rocking up for 14 hours in one day and they've got their ring hanging out trying to keep the mine running, like foremen and project managers. So it's hard. You can't, um, yeah, you can't, yeah, you can't bag them. They're already giving up. No, exactly. We, we run our sites or mining industry runs very lean on engineers and managers compared to like you, if you went down to see the rail tunnel that's going in. You know, they've got lots of engineers, you know, contracts managers. They're very well resourced, lower paid. But you go to a mine site and a lot of the time it's run by one underground manager and one senior mining engineer. That's it. Yeah. Like that. And then obviously a foreman and that's it. That's that's how we run our sites. So, yeah, you can see how they get really busy. And 
I don't know whether you do need another resource, but you can see how things do get missed on mine sites because there's just too much to do. Yeah, when you, you touched on mentors, you know, to have those in the industry as well. But when everyone is so busy and stretched, like nobody's got anyone who's got some experience is doing something. Mm -hmm. So they don't have the time to then go and mentor and train and support other people as well because they're already short, so they'll get them to do other work. Even though the intent might be there to have them as a mentor, but if you need some you know, extra tons or some extra work or some project work done, they're going to go and do that. Yeah, but I guess like putting in, putting in the sacrifice in the very beginning to get something running in the long term, you end up winning in the long term because you do have more people. You have more people with a better skill set that can potentially do more than one thing. So you might be sacrificing that in the very beginning for the tons, but longevity-wise, I believe that it, it would work best in your business. Um, it's like hiring five people and you might have two that don't do anything. The other three eventually are going to be like, why am I working? They're getting paid the same. Why am I working my butt off? You're getting more productivity from those three people even by paying five. So you cut off your dead weight and those three people will work their butts off for you because they know that they're all doing it and they know, they know that there's a light at the end of the tunnel. But when they're seeing that, it's like, the, you know, the rotten apple that spoils mm -hmm. the car, just get rid of your dead weight. Like, and you will build a team that is happy to work their butts off and learn anything and do anything because they work together as a team. It's not just, oh, that person doesn't do anything. I'm tired of working with that person or carrying them. There's how always do we, a, how do we get to that point? <laughs> I mean, that's a difficult one. And I, I agree with you, but how do we get to there and how do we manage it? Because, you know, all the contracts or all the owner miners around the industry, you know, we're all in the same boat, you know, trying to progress and do things well. Um, so it is a challenge. Um, you know, so if you've got any ideas on, on how you can get to that point. But as you said, if you've got three people working hard, you'd, you'd rather have three on a skeleton to crew doing the, doing the job well than, you know, carrying a couple of um, dead weights, so to speak. You enjoy and, those jobs better. And unfortunately, the really uh, – some people, the times the people that are doing the best job are the real quiet, shy people that go down and, uh, you know, work hard, but they're not up there spruiking to the bosses at the end of the shift that they've done this or they ask for the promotion. And what's the saying? The squeaky wheel always gets the oil. Um, and it's a lot of those – you probably notice a lot of the, the quiet, shy people that don't complain as much. They sort of get left behind in the progression through the ranks. I've just seen – noticed it recently I actually like put an endorsement in for someone that was very quiet at work because I knew I'm like you're just going to get left behind because you don't say anything but fantastic at his job Un unbelievable um but he doesn't go in and ask for the next step so well they probably didn't listen to me anyway but <laughs> <laughs> it would have made a difference I'm sure exactly yeah right uh in your area of expertise Mac at the tech services um much correlation between what we're talking about underground and as with engineers, geologists and that sort of things from what you've seen? Yeah, look, I think the problem is exactly the same. There's just more work and we've got the same amount of people. So, um, you know, there's more projects starting. There's new projects and um, there's no more mining engineers or geologists or whatever. So, so they are thinning out across and then there becomes – um, you know, that uh, competition for for people and then that, that will eventually drive wages and, um, 
you know, and we're seeing that. So we're, we're also seeing a lot of phone calls for mine sites looking for people. If you've got someone for three months while we fill a role, so we see that a lot. Um, we don't do that. Um, we're not a labour hire company. Um, so we, you know, in our group, we we do studies, study work and project work. I know a lot of consultants, in inverted commas out there, um, are just pseudo uh, labour hire companies. And I don't necessarily agree with the way they behave in stealing someone off, you know, Mindside A and then hiring them straight to Mindside B, you know. Um, or hiring I, them back to Mindside or A. Or hiring them back to Mindside <laughs> A as well. No, I don't think that's good for anyone apart from the guy who's taken a clip for not doing a lot of work. Um, it's not good for the employee because I think, you know, the, these young um, men and women that are training up to be engineers, geologists, they're better off working for a mining company at that stage where they can get um, mentoring, they have mentoring programs and, um, you know, they get sent on courses or whatever. But if they're just going through a labour hire type business, they're not going to get that level of love. So I think I think that um, that's crept into our industry over the last three to five years and I think that's a bit of a negative for for um, for our labour pool. So Play, and they're paying a significant premium for that person yeah, when they're they going do. through a labour. So they pay they, they pay the engineer a bit more. Um, and then the mine site's playing a lot more, you know, and really there's not a lot of winners in in that model. So I think they've got a bit of a um, they they've they've caused a bit of the issue with with that as well. Do they, do they do it for flexibility at all? Like, like in terms of being able employees. to they, the, the employers, do they they say, oh, we we like to in, employ the, contractors because you can get rid of them? Yeah, there's, if you the, need there to. is definitely um, a role. You know, a certain percentage of people will be we only need someone for three months or whatever, and that's fair enough. But I think it's crept in where a drill and blast engineer or a um, a mine scheduling engineer is. You know they just can't fill that role, and so they've had to had to employ you know get a contractor in to do that. So um, I think most of the time the mine site would rather have the employee on full time. It's just that they can't get them, so they're they're obliged to go to the labour hire companies. Have you have you seen much lately of? I know you've employed uh, one of your guys, ex bogger operator that's gone down the engineering route. Have you seen? With tech services, uh, I guess how they're trying to harness more people within the industry that might not have the tertiary, like the Bachelor of Engineering or whatever, but starting actually bring people in and giving them engineering roles without the actual formal qualification. Yeah, I, I don't know enough about that, how many people have gone and done that. I know that the, the fellow you're talking about, Michael, who's working for us, he, he, he went down that path and then went and studied um, to become a mining engineer um, and having that background is awesome you know so he's he's been down the hole for a long time and and then went and did mining engineering and um, but I, I think as you know what you're talking about is probably more of a technician where basically you get someone smart person and you train them up to use the software and work with mining engineers or geologists there's definitely a role for that um, probably a you know short to medium term fix but i think longer term we just need to get more kids into uni that that's how we're going to fix ours and we, we just don't promote the industry enough and you know when you when you see the west australian with their 
reporting that they're doing of late, um, you know, bagging FIFO, bagging the misogyny in the industry, that's not helping anyone um, at all. And, I, you know, I don't necessarily think, I think it's overblown and I don't think it's any worse than any other industry, but um, that doesn't help because parents guide their kids into into where they're going to go. And if Miney's got this terrible name, which I think the West Australians hell-bent on doing it for some reason, um, oh, then, it's then, clicks, then it's going to be really hard to get kids yeah. in. But, you know, we should be getting kids in. It's a great industry. You know, we're, um, you know, we, we are becoming a very technically based industry. You know, this is... This is our Silicon Valley. is 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 our mining industry, and um, we need smart people with good ideas. Um, uh, that's what we need. So we need to drag them in. We need to think a bit longer, and you know, get into the high schools, and 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 we need to educate parents about how good the industry is and how um, how many opportunities there are. The opportunities are there, like that. Easy picking. If you want to work hard, you're going to do extremely well in mining. And I don't think anyone can argue with that. You just work work hard, put your head down, and you're going to have a great life. And I don't think we tell people that, or, or we're not getting that across. Well, you, we could we could do a message straight to the West Australian right now. Like, <laughs> Keza, you're the you're my uh, perfect example. You can like, I guess, what's the mining industry done for you? You've got a very like, I guess, a flexible arrangement where you've got oh, it's been amazing. Look it's at the opportunities. Like absolutely amazing. I couldn't. What I would have been earning in a week raising two kids by myself was a struggle. What like that's what I'd earn in one and a half days. And now I can pay for them to have a good education. I can, you know, spend more quality time because instead of working seven days a week, 14-hour days, I get a break, well, whether it be three days or a week off, to spend quality time with my family. Like I could not just rate it any higher i think that mining is a wonderful industry for a lifestyle as well but for your family you make might make little sacrifices but you it is well worth it for anyone to go into and especially like my 20 year old he's you know he'll be buying a house at 21 he'll have a house you know like setting our kids up for the future and it's not us now doing it it should be them doing it so you're correct if our children were educated on how good mining is and how much mining can help you and not just you but then that helps your family so when you have kids you're not struggling a lot of people would get into it if they knew that god Kezra, i can see you on a billboard on the bloody greatest <laughs> highway after this so i can tell you what you're a natural <laughs> yeah but i mean it certainly does and it's probably another episode in its own talking about you know the fifo industry and the tag that goes along with that so whether we need to rebrand it and not you know use the word fifo and whether the west australian wants to get on board with that at all or not but you know it is a wonderful industry that well, the four of us in this room have, you know, got benefits from, um, but lots of opportunities are there. And as Shane said, you know, for people that want to work hard and have a crack at things, there's a million opportunities out there to do those sorts of things. Um, but it, it is going to be a battle to get people into the industry. But a question for you, Shane, is, you know, in that technical space, do you see more of the, the technical people in the, in the environment that you work in? Are they wanting to just be in Perth? Is that why they're coming to be consultants as opposed to, you know, a regular FIFO? sort of role where they need to be on a mine site? Yeah, I'm not sure I really know the answer to that. You know, we're only a relatively small group that has pretty low turnover, so I only know about my 
you know, 20 people that I work with here. And um, But, look, I think at the end of the day, people would rather be with their families every day if they could. And there's not many people that, you know, would would say they'd rather be away from their families. But, you know, that's um, – so we're lucky in that uh, what we do is quite flexible um, and, you know, you can't bore holes in Perth. Um, you can't really design holes in Perth. You know, you've got to be on a mine site. So, um, look, I'm not really sure how to answer that. Um, I think everybody should – like, we don't employ graduates um, and I don't ever see us employing graduates. I think people need to put a good, you know, at least a decade into a mine site, you know, as a minimum before they join someone like us. Um, and then they're and then they're useful. You know, we can teach someone how to use some software, but at the end of the day, we've got to give a very good quality product to the to the client. And unless people have got runs on the board, been underground, they know, you know, don't design a, you know, a stockpile this in this direction. We've talked about that, yeah. Matty, ninety degree stockpiles and yeah. whatever. But you know, <laughs> yeah. So so people need to. I think people need to go to my site. They need to go and live in Kalgoorlie. They need to go fly in and out, do whatever, really get the runs on the board. And and consulting is not for everyone at all. You know, even though most of it is in Perth, um, it's not for everyone. Yeah, that's it, it, it's an interesting sort of um, conversation because on one hand, Kez, you're saying it's great to be working away. And some of the people that you're sort of working with and I've worked with, they, they like to come back as well. So how do we get that balance of what's good to get into the industry? Because there's both options there and some works for some people and, and it's better to be on a mine site for other. Mm-hmm. Like my, my boys grew up with dad flying away. I think three of their first four Christmases were actually on a mine site mm-hmm. and they loved it. So as far as the, when they were growing up, dad just went on a plane to work and then come back and they were happy with that. But that doesn't work for everyone. Yeah. I think I think there's an element of in the consulting when you go to work for a consultant and or as you said a sophisticated sophisticated labour company sometimes like there is that because I did it for a brief period but and it was for the fact of you know when you're on that eight and six repetitive roster it's just like well, this is just never going to end I'm going to be FIFO but then if you I guess if you go work for a consultant there is that element of hope you might do some little stints based in Perth to give a break and that that's what was in my head at the time um, which I think some engineers would be looking for like they like oh, you'll be on site but you might do a couple of months here some project work so there, there is that element of flexibility that they provide um, and whether that happens or not but I know that was something running through in my head because it does get a bit it's a bit of a well you well you did it for years like the repetitive FIFA it does get a bit it's not that it's monotonous but it's like oh is there ever a hope you, sometimes you do need a bit of a break that's oh, what it, holidays are for it depends, yeah. where you're at. <laughs> it depends where you're at in your life as well right? exactly so yeah. you, you know you've got the three young kids at home so you want to be home more often than not but if you don't have kids coming home for a week or you know you get opportunity to do a lot of different things so it depends where you're at and you get the opportunity to do different things throughout your career which you know in the mining industry it can support all of that as well so there's there is plenty of opportunities out there and we just got to again keep working on getting more people to join and see what they are because you don't have to be an engineer and do eight and six for the next 10 years because you can you can change you know you just get in work hard for the opportunity you've got and then you know you see what doors open after that yep right jonesy we'll go we'll go to you we'll give a uh just give us a bit of an overview about 
Well, it's essentially why we're here today. Like, what give us an overview about the new the new project? But what what's where you see the biggest challenges of getting like the fact that it's not actually getting the infrastructure there; it's getting the people to it's, use it's, it. It's going to be getting the people to to build the project. As I mean, most of your listeners hopefully would know. Um, Shane's obviously fully aware um, of a, an exciting project uh, that'll be coming up in the industry soon, as in Bellevue. So, you know, we need to look to build that. So we need all the infrastructure, but we need all the people to do all the work as well, right? So um, currently we've got about an eight-year mine life um, on the the feasibility that was released in February with an update to come um, shortly. Um, but, you know, we've got an eight, potentially longer mine life, eight-year mine life and a, and a longer one. So I'm, I'm going to need people for a long time. Uh, where do they come from? Like we can't just get all the people off the street in Perth or out of the unis and then here's a new mine. So they've got to come from another mine, all right? So that, that's going to be a stretch. Um, I would like to think that people will come and work for Bellevue because it's a new project, but that only lasts for a certain period of time. But all that does is cause holes somewhere else, all right? So that doesn't help the industry on the whole. So, But um, what I would really like to try and understand um, and get as much feedback on as we can is, you know, what are the things that people are looking for in the industry? You know, we've, we've moved away from um, probably when you started too, Shane, it's tr the traditional, um, you know, single person's quarters with the shed toilet blocks. And then we've gone to, you know, en suites in all the rooms and all these sorts of things. So we are progressing um, to get things a little bit better. So as I'm looking to build the project, what are some of the things I should be looking at to look at the infrastructure that's there um, and what the mine should look like to keep people there for the long period of time. And that's whether that's the training programs, the structured training programs, the food in the camp, the size of the rooms, the Wi-Fi. You know, I can't change the ground that we operate in. Fortunately, it's good ground. Um, but what are the other, you know, the soft issues that I can sort of build into the project um, so people want to come and work there and stay there? Well, it's good to see that... Um you're not taking the idea. I'll just get a. I'll just get a contractor. It's their problem to get the people there. It's like, well, I can you as well, a, as well, a client is. and an asset. You play a big part in providing a, it, a it ground that contractors is. It, it, can get people. Whichever easily. contractor we go for um, to start the project, like it's going to be their problem. But that's my problem. So if they can't get enough jumbo operators or truck drivers and, and any, everyone else that we need, that makes a problem for me. So I need to try and support whoever's come to do the work. And, and what that looks like. So I'm, I'm not sure. Um, there's plenty of ways to skin the cat, but getting some ideas and some feedback will certainly help. I've got a question probably for Kez on that is, you know, you, you spoke about um, how it's good to have a, you know, your team or your shift, you know, and you've got a good bunch of people, you work together and you work hard. One of the issues I found when I was running a mine site was um, we had, two jumbos and 10 truck drivers and however many bog operators, but they're on different rosters. So the jumbo operators and I think the bog operators were on one and one and then, and then the rest of the crew was on two and one. And what that meant is you never had a crew. There's never an A, B, you know, an A, B, C or D or, you know. So our shift bosses with 10 truck drivers didn't even know the truck drivers' names because there's 10 truck and drivers well, and then they? when they come back next week, they got another 10. And then you know what I mean. So it it didn't give you a team. Do do mine sites these days still run like where you are, like oddball rosters? Oh, so it's even it's even well not, I'm not saying worse, twos. but then because you got two and twos, you got one, one and ones. ones, you got two and ones. So how does that keep the bloody board so organised? So then you don't have a crew on site, then do you? 
Well, you do because the two and ones would be, say, your you truck driver's crew. nippers, yeah. service crew, so they all fly in and out on the same day. So you've got three different panels of that, yeah. and then your one and ones will always come across you. So you do build relationships with them because you do work with them, say, whether it be every six weeks or or whatnot. But everyone, even your cross shifts, you can put anyone on any panel where I, where I am and majority of the time they know that person that they're working with or they don't mind going to the next panel and working with other people because they build relationships, they, you know, when they're training, from when they're training to even doing extras. So everyone's like a family, whether you're A crew, B crew, C crew. Okay, well, before I was going to, before I go on to the next bit, from I guess probably your perspective Jones you, you you've got the dollars and cents of behind the whole thing about running a mine site how everyone always says why can't everyone just go even time to attract more people what are the pros I assume that's just like in terms of cost and taking away two and one extra flights is that is that just a, such a massive thing to commit to that people don't understand how hard it is well you, you've got to consider a the cost of it so if you've got one role to fill and let's just use a truck driver as an example so you need a bum and a seat so the mine operates 24 7 so you need people in that all the time so and on a two-on-one roster you need three people so you've got to find three people um and that's 214 days a year whatever the number is like that's what people work so if you if you cut back to an eight and six, so then you need four people, you know, and, and roles are struggling to find people as it is. So you need more people in the industry to go a shorter roster. Um, there is more flights involved, but there's also pay cuts involved because you're actually working less. So that that's a trade-off. Some people want to work more, such as yourself, Gez, and, you know, you get paid more because you're working more. Um, some people want to work less, like they want that even time as well, but it comes less costs with doing that as well. So we all know how hard it is to get people. You know, if you just had to walk out in the street and get four truck drivers, you might only get three. So by default, you've got to do like a two-on-one roster. So there's trade-offs in doing that. The the entry-level uh, roles into the mine obviously started a lower sort of salary range, so they're looking to get more money, so they're quite happy to work a little bit longer. Yep. Sums it up perfectly, I reckon. Right. Now, we want to say, as I said, answer to your first question about what, what can you do to attract people, what are people looking for? So I guess... Uh, Kez and I are the FIFO workers here. Kez, give us just a rundown of... If if I had a job offer at um, Bellevue for me, and this is just me being selfish, what's it going to take to get a jumbo operator to come across? What's it going to take to get you, Kez? What's it going to take <laughs> to get you to come across? Like what are, what are the sorts of things? Is it... What is it? Like is it, in, is it the soft stuff in the camp and the issues or is it... If you offer healthcare, I think that is a massive one. A lot yeah, of people right. I speak yeah. to as like healthcare. Is that like right? Like private health, yep. people would just be like, yeah, just for that alone, um, for them and their families because a lot of people don't want to get Jonesy. that. So private healthcare, health for sure. <laughs> there you go. That's, that's, that is the last thing I would have thought of personally. Oh, it, does it? that get yeah. tied no, no. into somebody supplying that or supplying a higher salary so you can – pay for it like if you uh, supply in the package that'd be more appeal like that would appeal more to someone when you're offering them and their family private health and even if their their wage is that little bit less that is very attractive to a lot of people because a lot of people don't want to get private health they find they see it coming out of their pay it's a grudge purchase until you need it 
So by you offering that, they're not pa- in their minds. They're not paying for so it. Like I mean, being pre- a mum with two kids, things like yeah, help. pretty yeah. much, yeah. yeah. And, and that's sort of the part of the question I, I would like to get out there as well is you know from a retention or an incentive point of view, is it more interested to just get more cash or other things like private health or you know equity in companies and those sorts of things? What is more attractive? Um, to people in the industry, what are what are you looking for? Because we could always just throw some more money, but that doesn't solve any problems. I think with the money, you're still going out and getting it yourself, which a lot of people don't want to have to do. They want that taken out of the equation. So if you're offering it to them, you know they don't see the dollar value of it because, but they they don't have to do it themselves. So that's more appealing. So an- another ten grand in your pay packet over the year call it health insurance or whatever it is, right? Like you won't actually see that. Like you won't notice it. No. Whereas if you got private health insurance. 100%. You would notice that. You would notice that. Yeah. yeah. Because a lot of people, you like, you know, would need to go to the dentist, optometrist. A lot of them need to take their kids to doctors, dentists. If they have sporting injuries, if they've got that, it, it's, like, it, it's win-win for them. It's win-win for you because, you know, it's something that they would love more than 10000 If I got offered private health, I'd be like, yeah. Is that as in like full top cover family, like the biggest thing is obviously to be able to cover the whole family? Yeah, it would be there for, to, to cover the family, private health to cover, cover the family, absolutely. Because you could get your laser surgery on your eyes, you could really <laughs> load up on it, couldn't you? <laughs> because you also, you think about it, the more money you're earning, the more tax you're paying as well. So another thing would be salary sacrifice, people that can salary sacrifice or packages for people because I know that I can, I can only salary, salary sacrifice certain things if I, I live regional, so I can salary sacrifice my mortgage or my rent. People that live in Perth can't. But I can't salary there sacrifice. There you go. I did, I did not know that. Yeah. There you go. And I, can salary sacrifice, I can't salary sacrifice education, which for me is a massive thing. So if someone had to offer me a package, a yearly rate, I'd say two and one and said this is your package and was able to offer the school fees to be paid as part of that package. I might get less for the year, but those, those school fees are being paid for me and I'm not getting taxed as much. I'd sign up for that too. So, yeah. <laughs> so the more, the more you, the, the, the more you earn, the more you get taxed. <laughs> oh, the, the, both the boys are at Guildford, but yeah, I'd um, sign up for some of those plans yeah. for sure. <laughs> but what, what's the, there's implications for the company for that. They've got to pay fringe benefits yeah. tax to I'd, do all I mean, that. I'm, I'm not fully aware of all the ins and outs of it, but there is fringe benefit tax and all that sort of stuff comes into it. But it's certainly mm. something Everyone thinks that consider. companies are tight and they don't do it, but there is implications for them to well expensive right so the company would just have to pay the tax it's an expense so they pay double for healthcare so if the company which whichever company you work for needs to pay that right that's that's a cost so that needs to be either taken out of your margin or taken out of you know salaries and those sorts of things as well oh absolutely so it's got to come from somewhere but you get you know you end up getting taxed a lot anyway so if i'm going to get an like ten thousand less it's ten thousand less i'm getting taxed on but i'm getting healthcare so for me i'd rather you keep that ten thousand, and you give me healthcare, because that saves me the long run anyway. What about um, culture on site? What are, What are you looking for? What What do you What 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 makes you? You've been at the same mine site for a while. Um, what makes a good site? I know James was talking about you know facilities, camp, food, everything like that. But is it like even beyond that? Like you know, management, leadership, the what makes it good for you? Um, for me, it's the people, to be completely honest, um, because I, I feel 
our camp could be a lot better. It's good. I can, don't get me wrong, our camp is very good. Um, however, it's the people that make it. So the people that you spend your time with, whether it's having dinner or whether or not you go and have a drink, but not everyone's into that. So things like a gym or maybe somewhere they can play a game of tennis or just something for people to have an outlet because some people are introverted, they like to go sit in their rooms and they're happy with that. Some people need that stimulation from others. And if they don't get that stimulation, they start to feel down or they're unhappy. So giving them other outlets, not just the bar, something else that they can do with other people or even a gym class, you know, someone taking a class, whether it be a bar class or whatever. Some people like going to, you know, it motivates them. But, yeah, I, I think definitely other options for people to have the, some sort of stimulation. Oh, I reckon we hand over to the lowest turnover company in Australian history, Entech, the founder, Shane McClay. You've, uh, you're very famous for having like a massive long service leave cash flow problem because yeah, that, no, <laughs> <laughs> no, no one bloody leaves you. No one leaves you. Good problem to have. It's uh, you, might, you probably downplayed as something you've learned along the way. But like, how have you installed this culture in Entech that people just don't want to bloody leave? Yeah, look, it's a I, bit think, too I, I think what um, Kez hit the nail on the head before when she said that you got to employ the right people and, you know, a bad apple will ruin it. So you got to have a very uh, strict hiring policy. Um, so we haven't we haven't grown quickly. So that's allowed us to to, you know, just just hire um, at a sustainable rate. Um, uh, I think probably. The other thing is we're, we're lucky in what we do. On a mine site, if you've got two jumbos, you've got a, you know, you need six people, you know, or eight people, whatever. Um, where with what we do, we can say no to work. So if we've got too much, we, we won't go and hire some people and bring them in because we have to do that work. We have to get that cutaway. We can just say, sorry, we can't do that now. We can do it in six weeks' time. So we're, we're lucky in that respect. I know when... I was running a mine site. You needed to get bums on seats in the truck. You've got to employ, like 2008 was terrible. It's like probably worse than it is now. And, um, yeah, some of the people we had to employ, you know, and you have no choice, um, you know, especially when you're trying to bore and fire a single-heading decline, you know. That's not much you can do. So we're, we're lucky in that respect that we can say no to work. Uh, so, therefore, we can say no to people as well. Um you know, and, and we're lucky in what we do as well that um, we give the opportunity, like our our employees will go to their kids' sports day. Oh, I've just got to nick, nick off this morning for a couple of hours, you know, the young fellas doing in the triple jump. No worries, off they go. They'll work out those two hours later on. That's not a problem. So we're very lucky in that respect as well. Um, so, yeah, it's pretty family-orientated, just listen to people, Um yeah, so, you know, we, we kind of are lucky in what we do allows us that flexibility. But, um, yeah, just, just treating people like they should be treated, just treat people well, <laughs> you know, yeah, treat them like humans and listen. Like, and what would piss me off right now? Like, yeah, yeah, you've obviously done it well over the years. As, a, as you lead, because I know you say we a lot, but it's like, you know, it's something that you've instilled in NTEC. Has it evolved over the years, the way you've, um, like, I guess no. nurtured and approached the leadership side of things. Not, not really. You've you just know, been a legend I, from the start. No, <laughs> look, we, no, not really. It's always been pretty much the same. We've grown, but we're not massive, so we still know everyone. 
by name and their family by name and everything like that. So that's good. Um, yeah, that that that's been a you know it's it's just a nice place to go and work. Yeah. You know, with a good bunch of people and um, smart, enthusiastic. Um, yeah, it's good. Love it. Yeah, and I mean, it's good to sort of point out as a external to Entech as well that you know we've sort of been on and off for. Well, 10 years since you've been around, right, doing some work for the early Northern Star days. But having that, you, you can't buy good people that treat people well, right? They're just there. So you've got to get your hands on them and it's not a mat matter of how much you pay them. But having the flexibility to, as you said, go and watch the kids' music recital or whatever's going on or you're not feeling that well, come in. But converse, conversely, or the flip side of that as well, is when, when your team needs to do some of the work to deliver a feasibility on time, Shane. Yep. Um, you know they, they do that right and yeah. and that's all sort of part and parcel and you you celebrate it you have some you know fun times on a on a friday and i know you got a ping pong table in the office so those sorts of things just make it a little bit lighthearted and it's not you know you, you can't stand around and bash people with a stick because people don't like that yeah. and it doesn't you know you've obviously done that well um you know and i've got to do the same sort of thing in as i grow sort of bellevue up just have that sort of culture where we can do the same sort of things or people actually want to come to work and enjoy it. Yeah. I think people – I think it's important to keep people busy. Um, so, you know, even if it does get a bit quiet, um, do a project, do, do something. People like to be challenged. Um, so that's really important. Um, nobody likes to be sitting around doing nothing, um, you know, straight away. It's, you know – yeah, everyone loves to, to win it's happening everyone loves yeah. to win you know you, you you finish a project and the client's happy and you know you go and cut a portal and you know you do a design for a box cut and then it gets excavated and you know you go out to cassini there's the maddie keenan box cut you know <laughs> still not as good as my samphire one but anyway <laughs> but uh, you know it's good to have to do something and have a win and it gets built and you just sit back and go wow we did that you know so i think Keeping people busy is really important. Challenged. Absolutely. Engaged. Absolutely. Engaged. Yeah. Yep. Right, on to the Sookie Jumbo operators. This is, <laughs> I can, well, I what can, do you need, Matty? What do I need? <laughs> oh, jeez. Two nippers. <laughs> Two nippers. God, we've got zero these days. But, um, oh, well, I guess I'm – oh, they can't get up me all the time. But I, I, I believe I work at one of the best mine sites in Australia. I'm a, I'm a, everyone knows I'm at Jundee. Um, and I, I guess I use that as the basis of – because I, 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 there's not much turnover there. Um, I and I, there's so much elements to why I think it is one of the best mine sites, and that's you know, guess what we're here to talk about today. And it's um, look, and it goes beyond the you know, there's like camp food pub and all that. That's just you can only do so much there. Um, like leadership, there's a massive thing from project manager form and all the way down. It's like it's not a you know what would you call like an autocratic sort of like setup it's like you're, you're part of the team you're like because we're down there busting our guts on the on the levers for 12 11 and a half hours straight um everyone just gets behind you there's that that element that makes me want to turn up you're part of the team we're all like it's a that real go-getter culture and that's just and that's flowed down to you know boggers charge up everyone that culture becomes infectious because if i'm passionate about being down there and that everyone else is going to be passionate around me um and that but that's driven from the top from all the managers we've got there so that i think that's a big thing the leadership well it's the leaders themselves but it's the style um really harnessing that team culture and i've been in like meetings at other sites where they're just 
pointing fingers, you bloody, you know, yada, yada, yada. And that's just like you just walk out of the meeting and everyone's got their heads down and you're, you're on the back foot already. But when they – look, we get kick up the asses when we need it because like, we all – everyone buggers up. But it's got – it's with a – it's part of the greater good. There's a positive side to it. So that's one thing. Um, like in, site infrastructure and support I think is a massive thing. Um I've been at sites where there's, you know, one sparky running around like a mad person trying with three machines down and just like that's no one's really getting anything done. Having support in the maintenance and electrical departments where you can, you know, like I've, I've tripped many a jumbo boxes where I am and within half an hour that's down, reset, back up and going. And this is like this is a long way from the sparky workshop. It's having that support and assistance on site that if something goes wrong your downtime's minimized and my downtime's minimized i'm happy everyone else is happy minimal disruptions because it's not perfect um and spare parts that's a big thing go to go to many a site where you just thought everything's uh there's a lot of creativity employed just to keep machines going um not sustainable in the long term it just keeps getting worse and worse where we are awesome you always got spare cylinder like shit breaks whether you want it when you try to you can be as careful as you want but stuff does break and there's a lot of people that aren't very careful and break a lot of shit uh but having the spare parts to actually keep machines going so you're not down and you're not dealing like you if you're down there for 12 hours dealing with a niggly fault that can play a lot on your mind and you just you just got the shits the whole time um and that's so yeah that's a that's a big one for me and then so i can look i could easily go and to another job somewhere and probably put myself i'm not the best at what i do i know i'm keen and passionate i'm gonna obviously get better but i could put myself out there and easily earn another 500 dollars a shift just play the whole supply and demand thing in the industry at the moment but i'm would not want to do that because it's uh, i might get paid more but it's exactly what you said because i'm going to somewhere where i'm not as happy i haven't got all that support i'm not it's just not as easy like you, yeah, you, you earn every single dollar of it yeah absolutely um, and yeah I, that's well no that's i guess that's what's making me tick at the moment yeah. that's the um I but the, and, and it's that when you got that like now when everyone's walking around side oh yeah the gears bloody stuffed here and everything like that just that just flows through a site absolutely that sort of attitude um and look there is still god this when people whinge about <laughs> where i'm I'm like mate you've got no idea <laughs> but um it's still out there but that's yeah that's my big ones I reckon there. So, it. so what I'm hearing is, you know, things like the camp and you know, the facilities and those sorts of things and gyms, like they're they're a controllable item as 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 a client for the <clears throat> excuse me the project. Like I can control them to some degree, right? So, um, we're not building you know the Ritz Carlton's up on on site, but there's there's a trade off between old second hand dongers and you know a nice facility. So we can manage that to some degree. But you you spoke a fair bit about the maintenance and the electrical side of things as well so we don't have any fitters or sparkies in here to discuss it with us but that's a big part of the industry that we need that support from so it'd be interesting to hear your thoughts on what would interest those guys as well because you hear it all the time they're, they're going away for another dollar fifty an hour at another job but is it because they don't like the project manager or the workshop's not good or they don't have a spare parts or the machines they're starting with are just so old they should be retired what, what do you think from a 
maintenance and support point of view that people are interested in? Well, and look, it comes from it's not like the the amount of sparkies and uh, fitters that are on site aren't a function of how many people want to work there. It's also it's a part of how many the contractor wants there. Like that's how many they're employing. So they're obviously a, a maintenance and electrical personnel or a cost. They're not a they don't generate any direct revenue. So um, people that want to con- run a contract lane with minimal support that's 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 their choice. Um, but the reason I think like where I am where they've got good amount of support they're not like there's there's obviously still fitters and everything running around with multiple faults at one time but I've seen it a lot worse so they're having that um you know that I'm not sure what they get paid where I'm at if it's what what it is compared to other places in the industry but I know they're all they've they've got all the gear they've got plenty of people around them they're all helping each other and that it's that culture um when you've got you, you'll hear I'll, I'll call up many times your jumbo box of trip one sparky gets on oh it's sounds like you go sort that out like there's there's mult, there's plenty of them there they're all helping each other out um and i think i can't speak on the behalf of maintenance and electrical culture but i think it's pretty similar to what underground's like it's um if they're all in it for themselves they that's that's that rotten rotten egg scenario and they're just going to go elsewhere um i've i've never Oh, if I, when we drive the jumbo up for a service day, you roll it into the wash pad to pull all the wrap off, and next minute these seven fitters are fit appear that have just started. This is five thirty, so they've just got off the bus and they're out there. They're unwrapping, washing. That's that's a culture. That's the culture. I've I've never seen it before until where I've worked. And the, I mean, that's something you don't buy or pay for necessarily. Nah. It, it's just built yeah. over time, and you know you can have. The, the the contractors that are there, different sites will have different cultures. So um, it is something that's built at that particular site as well and, and the people there that say, well, this is the way we do it. But, but um, contractors definitely do operate different maintenance models. Like we evaluate a lot of, um, a lot of contracts uh, tenders and um, some contractors will be running 0.9 fitters per one large piece of equipment and some will be 1.6. So yeah, you, right. you're getting almost double the amount of fitters, depending on the contractor on a mine site. So that you know that's a conscious decision too. And, well, and, how, and how's it perceived? Like is that like because either way can be looked at good or bad, can't it? Like yeah, oh, exactly. they run it leaner there. Well, there's a saving. big cost having people on a mine site. You know, it's twenty five thousand dollars a year just to fly someone in and out and feed them. Is know? that right? Twenty five yeah. grand. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you know, you add another. X amount of people that that adds a big number plus their wages obviously but you know the converse of that is maybe your jumbo doesn't get fixed as good and there's a bit more patch up and you know so and it's, it's all it a, comes to the availability and the productivity yeah. too right so if your machine's running you can you can do some work with it but if it's not and it takes twice as long to fix it well then you're not making revenue which is what the machine's for yeah yeah and it better comes a lot of it is and you know, we talk about fitters and everything. A lot of it's having a culture where you've got operators that really want to take care of things. Um, it's in my best interest to take care of my machine. I wasn't always like that. And well, you've learned that now. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's, um, it took it's a bit, but you've learned it. Yeah, exactly. So, well, I reckon that's, uh, or this will be, it's like the A team. We'll, we will meet again. <laughs> um, but that was really good. Oh, hopefully, we've got a bit come out of that and be good to get everyone's, um, Feel free to comment and spread on LinkedIn and put your two bob in, everyone that's seen this post when you see it. Um, get the combo going.
Um, I was going to talk about how we're going to get more people and everything outside, but I think we can uh, we can leave that for another episode. That's an episode. I, I in think itself. that will be another good chat to talk about. You know, the industry we touched on before with the the association of the FIFO. You know, so how can we sort of rebrand that and look at getting more people in the industry? But it'd be certainly interesting to see the comments and you know what what are what sparks people's interest at where they're working and why they want to work there. So. You know, no. at the end of the day, all the mine sites can make it um, a better place to be where everyone is. That's a good thing. Yep. Too easy. No, thanks very much, everyone. This is well, I had to nice buy to a microphone for this. This is my first four-way <laughs> interview. So there you go. No, thanks very much, everyone. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Matt. Thanks, Matty.